0: Welcome to JourneyWithJesus.net, a weekly webzine for the Global Church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, The Stories We Tell, and it's based on the lectionary readings for Sunday, November 9th, 2014. The Christian community I grew up in traces its roots back to the 1st century A.D. According to history, or legend, depending on whom you ask, the Apostle Thomas sails to South India in A.D. 52, intending to preach to the Jewish colonies near Cochin. Over the course of 20 years he followed the coastline south winning hundreds of followers in the villages of my ancestors eventually he crossed the subcontinent to Mylapore on the west coast near madras and was martyred contemporary indian christians still venerate mylapore as the apostle's official resting place and many hundreds make pilgrimages to the site each year this account of saint thomas's mission is one of the foundational god stories i grew up on as a child, I'd hear my elders refer to it as evidence of God's long-standing care for our people. When times got tough, we'd find comfort in the knowledge that our community's relationship to God dates back centuries. At the same time, the story often functioned in ways I can't be proud of. Sometimes it would be used to contradict the notion that India is a Hindu country, or that its relationship to Christianity is tied to British imperialism. But sometimes we'd use it to assert our superiority over other believers. To call ourselves St. Thomas Christians was to claim a more venerable spiritual pedigree than the West's. It was also to differentiate ourselves from, quote, converts, latecomers to Indian Christianity who would never achieve our religious status, no matter how fervently they embraced their new faith. The trouble with our God stories is that they are both beautiful and broken, both essential and dangerous. In this week's Old Testament reading, Joshua and the Israelites exchange dramatic God stories of their own vivid narratives of their ancestors' experiences with Yahweh, and their exchange culminates in a moment of decision. Choose this day whom you will serve, Joshua challenges his followers. Whether the gods your ancestors served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The stories Joshua and the Israelites exchange in this passage are painful for modern readers to deal with. They include unsparing descriptions of plagues, drownings, curses, and genocidal conquests. While they celebrate a God who protects his children, they also describe him as tribalistic, wrathful, and violent. When the Israelites answer Joshua's challenge with a hearty decision to serve God, they base their decision on a God story that makes me cringe. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. In a 2009 TED Talk entitled The Power of a Single Story, Nigerian novelist Chibamanda Ngozi Adichie describes her early attempts to write fiction as a child. Every story she wrote, she says, featured snowy landscapes and children with blonde hair eating apples. This, despite the fact that she'd never seen snow, didn't have blonde hair, and spent her Nigerian childhood eating mangoes, not apples. The trouble was that she had grown up reading only American and British children's literature she'd had no access to books written by African authors. She didn't know, therefore, that people who looked and lived like her could populate the pages of literature. Years later, when she came to the United States, she confronted the same problem, this time in reverse. Her college roommate was stunned that Adichie could speak English, enjoy American pop music, and operate a stove. In other words, the roommate had inherited a single story of Africa, a story of AIDS, famine, and ethnic cleansing. It was not a story roomy enough to accommodate Adichie. The danger of the single story, Adichie concludes in her TED Talk, is that it robs people of dignity. It makes our recognition of our equal humanity difficult. It makes one story become the only story. But here is the dilemma. We are called by God to tell our stories. We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done, the psalmist says in this week's reading. God commands each generation to share its stories so that many generations, yet unborn, will set their hope in God. How do we faithfully but respectfully share our God stories? How do we untangle beauty from brokenness in the stories we tell and hear? The problem isn't a new one. The ancient rabbis who studied the Torah faced a similar challenge when they confronted difficult texts, texts they could not jibe with the God they knew. Their solution was Midrash, a vast body of interpretive literature tied to the Hebrew Bible. Midrash asks questions, fills in gaps, and offers provocative counter-narratives to the ancient Israelites' God stories. In one of my favorite examples, the rabbis revisit the challenging story of the Red Sea crossing. How, they wondered, could they reconcile the drowning of Pharaoh's army with the merciful character of God? One Midrash offers this possibility that when Moses' sister, Miriam, began to sing God's praises after the crossing, the angels in heaven took up the song. But God refused to join in the celebration. Instead, the angels found God weeping. When they asked him why he wasn't celebrating too, God responded, My creatures are drowning in the sea, and you want me to sing praises? In another variation, the angels pressed God further, asking why he didn't silence the jubilant Israelites. God responded that the Israelites were human, human beings whose lives and freedom depended on the victory they'd just gained. They needed to sing and dance, but God would mourn. Though we might not realize it on a day-to-day basis, the stories we tell and the gods we come to choose or reject are powerfully linked. When the Israelites ceased to be landless nomads and became a people of power, they had to choose between a god who'd turn a blind eye to their violence and tribalism or a god who'd call them to account when they oppressed the stranger, ignored the widow, and mistreated the orphan. And lest we think our choices are any less stark, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann offers this corrective. What is before us in this society, as it was before Joshua and his companions, is a life or death decision about God and neighbor. The God decision is a recognition that we are not autonomous to do whatever we may want to do. The God of covenant is no therapeutic pushover who benignly accepts selfish anti-neighborliness and the cheapening of the human fabric. The neighbor decision is an awareness that the ones unlike us merit, because they are present, inclusion in the goodies of the community. Stories matter. More importantly, as Adichie puts it, many stories matter. Why? Because while God is in each of our stories, he'll never be contained by them. The God who sings on one side of the Red Sea mourns on the other. The faith that came to my ancestors through the Apostle Thomas is only one thread in India's vast and messy religious tapestry. The God some Christians find in the quiet elegance of liturgy, others find in the exuberance of praise songs and tambourines. To hold our stories reverently but lightly, to let them exist in full and creative tension with each other, this, I think, is what we are called to choose as Christ's followers. Choose this day whom you will serve. May we choose a God who is unimaginably bigger than the stories we tell, a God whose every story begins and ends in love. For books this week, we review Rowan Williams' Being Christian. Rowan Williams was the Archbishop of Canterbury and the leader of the 70 million members of the Anglican Church from 2002 to 2012. He then served as Master of Magdalen College at the University of Cambridge. In the summer of 2013, he was appointed Chancellor of the University of South Wales. He is Welsh. Williams is a formidable scholar, but in this little book, he shares his heart as a pastor and priest. He explores what he calls the four basic activities or essential elements of being Christian, baptism, scripture, Eucharist, and prayer. Williams devotes one chapter to each of these four spiritual practices. Each chapter is about 20 pages and uncluttered by any footnotes or jargon. He begins each chapter with a single scripture reference and ends with three questions for further reflection. The book concludes with a short bibliography for further reading. Baptism is a restoration of what it means to be truly human. It connects us to the love of God, to the mess which is the world in which we live, and to one another. Baptism leads Williams to consider the roles of Christ as a prophet who asks difficult questions, a priest who builds bridges, and a king who seeks justice. We listen to Scripture to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Jesus himself is the luminous center, in light of which we read the rest of Scripture. The Eucharist is about hospitality, about being welcomed by God and in turn welcoming others. In prayer, we quiet ourselves to align ourselves more fully with the life and love of God. This is a simple book that's written with clarity and conviction by one of our leading Christian voices. In film, we review Jimi Hendrix, here my train a-comin'. There's a cottage industry of books and films about, Jim, about Jimi Hendrix. This PBS movie claims to be the definitive documentary about the greatest guitarist of all time. Hendrix had two personas. On stage, he was flamboyant and supremely confident, playing his upside-down guitar left-handed, behind his neck, with his teeth, on his elbow, etc. The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, and many others played The Ed Sullivan Show, but never Hendrix. He was too much. Hendrix the Virtuoso is the focus of this film. The movie incorporates archival footage of concerts and interviews those who knew or worked with him. Family friends, music historians and journalists, recording engineers and producers, publicists, radio DJs, and concert promoters. The private Hendrix was deeply insecure and painfully shy. We don't learn much about this side of him. The heavy drug use, the murky circumstances of his death, the many women, his two children, and the long legal mess after his death. If you grew up during the Hendrix years, this trip down memory lane will give you goosebumps. And finally, our poem this week is G.K. Chesterton's The Convert. After one moment, when I bowed my head, and the whole world turned over and came upright, and I came out with the old road shone white, I walked the ways and heard what all men said, Forests of tongues, like autumn leaves unshed, Being not unlovable, but strange and light. Old riddles and new creeds, not in despite, but softly, As men smile about the dead. The sages have a hundred maps to give That trace their crawling cosmos like a tree. They rattle reason out through many a sieve That stores the sand and lets the gold go free. And all these things are less than dust to me, because my name is Lazarus, and I live. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for November 9th, 2014. I'm Debbie Thomas.